I love this time of year. I love it because it's a time to uh, refocus, to declutter, to reprioritize, and um, just good to have you all with us here. This time of year, we typically um, see our attendance go up a little bit in January, even over December. Most people think December is the high attendance month of the year for church, but typically it's January. Believe it or not, our church attendance tracks very closely with the YMCA, and I'm sure most gyms. You know, the Y has their largest membership month by far in January, and uh, it's that way with most gyms, I'm sure, and it's that way with most churches. You know, January is a high attendance month, sometimes uh, slopes down, particularly after Easter, but um, regardless, we are so glad to have you here with us, and for those who are somewhat new to our church, I'd like to take just a, a few minutes this morning and say, about who, say a few words about who we are as a church. I think the best way to understand our church um, and who we are is by considering what we call our vision frame. You'll see the vision frame on the screen. Think of the vision frame as a window frame through which you're looking into the future. And in the future is our vision 2025. This is about a page and a half document. You can read it on our website. Certainly I won't read it this morning. Now this vision 2025 is not just something we made up because we thought it sounded good for a church to have a vision like this. It is prayed over, uh, shaped over time, and I think in line with scripture and God's particular call for us as a church. To the right of the frame, you'll see what we refer to as our mission statement, a very brief, simple statement, building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. What does that mean? We mean that we believe we can be most effective in reaching, touching, serving the world around us and fulfilling God's will for us as a church if we help people in our church to grow in their faith to the point where they embrace their calling as sent people. That is, people who are sent into God's world with his love and with his truth. This, I think, was Jesus' pattern. He called his disciples to be with him. He taught them. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In a very real sense, every true follower of Jesus is a sent person. We've talked about having t-shirts made up at our church. Maybe we'll do this sometime that just say, sent. That'd be a great conversation starter, wouldn't it, when you go to the gym or why? We're sent people. At the bottom of the frame, you'll see our discipleship pathway. Think of this as a map. You know, you come into a church and you see this, you open the bulletin and you see many different options of things to do with your time. Various classes and courses and groups. We want to simplify this a little bit. And we call it our discipleship pathway, a map for spiritual growth. It starts with worshiping together, and you're already doing that, of course, today. We think further growth will occur as you grow in a group of some type. It might be a typical small group or a journey group. Thirdly, we grow further by getting some understanding of how God has wired us to serve other people. We discover our spiritual gifts in those ways we can uniquely serve God's kingdom best. And then finally, going with a mission. 
as God sends us outside of the church, we find the, the ways we can best serve God's world. It might be local ministries or missions. It might be overseas. Now, to the left of the frame, you see seven things that we refer to as values. These are things that we hope characterize our church now, but will increasingly characterize our church in the future. And then the marks at the beginning um, are just those values and practice. We could say embracing these values leads to this, the marks, marks of maturity in a growing follower of Jesus Christ. And this, this frame is, is somewhat of the basis for our new member classes. We'll have one in February. It's a great way to connect further with the church. That'll be on two Wednesday nights. The next slide, you'll see the very first statement in our Vision 2025 and you'll see how significant it is that we have an understanding of Scripture of the Bible. In the year 2025, River Oaks is known as a church where people have a strong knowledge of the Bible joined with active compassion for those outside of the church. We don't want to be a church just made up of people who know a lot about the Bible, like spiritual sponges that soak it all in. Rather, we want to be people who take the growth God gives us and use it to serve with compassion the world around us. The first sentence in the second paragraph says, those who call River Oaks their church home recognize that biblical knowledge should overflow into concern for the spiritual well-being of others. Spiritual growth leading to outreach. And that following Jesus leads to an outreach-focused life. So that's what we're all about here. Helping people grow spiritually, find their place of ministry, and use it to touch and reach the world. Now, it starts to a very significant degree with grasping the revelation God has given us in this book we call the Bible. Scripture, the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. And so our theme for this year, we're calling one story. Seeing the unified theme of the Bible from beginning to end as a plan given us by one divine author pointing to one great Savior, Jesus. Now, if the Bible's new to you, if you've never read it through, I want to just mention a few resources that might be helpful at our resource center today. The first is a read through the Bible plan. You can get these online, but we have some print copies there. They're free. The second is a booklet we've prepared. And sometimes we do these booklets. I think we got five different ones out there on different themes regarding scripture. But this one is why we need the Old Testament. Um, this will address some of the harder questions about the Old Testament and focus on why we Christians who have the New Testament still need to know and understand the Old Testament. Also in your bulletin, you'll see we've started a short, uh, by short, I mean 180 seconds, daily podcast, Monday to Friday, through, straight through the book of Psalms, because the Psalms ties together the Bible, Old and New Testaments, like I believe no other book in Scripture. And then finally, you can pick up today the uh, one-story study for small group or individual study. Well, today let's start at the beginning, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. You may be here this morning thinking, how's the Old Testament going to be relevant to my life? Because what I really need is help in my marriage. 
Or what I really need is help in managing money the way God wants me to. Or what I really need is a better understanding of how to overcome temptation, particularly sexual temptation. Or what I really need is to know how to deal with a, a bad family situation I've got with siblings or, or parents and, and how to forgive somebody who's created a real problem in my family. I want to say to you that all of those things are dealt with in the book of Genesis. Genesis 2.24 is the most important verse in the Bible, the foundational verse on marriage. You talk about sexual sin, my goodness. There's so much of it in the book of Genesis that I caution you parents whose children are starting to read the Bible, you better read it with them because you might get some hard questions. And as far as dealing with difficulties in one's family, there's no better story to follow in Scripture than that of Joseph who was rejected and betrayed by brothers and went through immense difficulties, yet found God's favor and advancement by his faithfulness to God in his difficult circumstances. But let's start with verse 1 of Genesis, because it is so critical. It is so foundational to all of life as a Christian. We see something significant in the first verses of Genesis, that God existed God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the beginning. Most often when you see the word God used in Scripture as distinct from the Spirit of the Son, it's, it's almost always a reverence to God the Father. And then we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right in the first two verses of the Bible, we see both God and the Spirit of God. In the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Here we see the Word, who very clearly is the Son, Jesus, if you read the rest of John chapter 1, being with God and saying that He was God. Now, how do, how do we understand this? Because the Bible's really clear that there's only one God. The next slide will give a definition of what Christians refer to as the Trinity. It's a statement about who God is. It's the belief that God is triune. And what that means, and has meant historically uh, for Christians since the beginning, is that there is only one God. And he exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. One of the greatest theologians alive today is named J.I. Packer, and he says, perhaps we could best refer to God as the divine team. Now, the Trinity shield has been around for a long time. I don't know its origin. But it's a good way to depict the definition of the Trinity. There's only one God. He's in the center. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct personalities. One God always existing. Now let me stress this to you. This is an essential doctrine of Christianity. And by that I mean without this, 
the Christian faith is something less than real, biblical, genuine faith. This is not an optional belief. Yet, as far as essential beliefs in Scripture, I think it's the most challenging to understand for our human minds. We've also got, by the way, at our resource center, a little booklet called Understanding the Trinity. If you'd like to dig into that further, those are free also. You can pick one up there. Now, um, I want to stress this because it's important as we go through the Bible to understand that God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the very beginning, before the creation of all things. Secondly, we see in the first verses of Genesis that God the Trinity, the triune God, He created everything that is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 is speaking of Jesus. And it says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, when you think of Jesus, you probably think of the great teacher who came and, and uh, taught wonderful things and washed the feet of his disciples and was crucified. And that's true. It's extremely important to know and understand. You may not think often of him as creator, but he was and is. The next passage from Colossians is particularly interesting when it's the way it speaks of Christ. You could insert the word Jesus or Christ for the word him here. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That includes angels, spiritual beings, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, notice this, for him. And he is before all things. And in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. In Christ, all things hold together. Now let's look at a passage from the book of Hebrews that similarly speaks of Christ in creation. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat, right, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is the Father. Now here's the point. The one through whom all things were created is also the one through whom you and I, through our faith in him, are recreated. See, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. This happened because Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, who was there in the beginning and through whom we were created, he made purification for our sins when he gave his life on the cross. The Creator becomes the Re-Creator. So, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the beginning. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, created everything. And then number three, God made us human beings in his own image. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice God speaking in first person plural, us, our. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, let me ask you to think about a question. Why did God do that? What was his purpose, his motivation? Why did God, who'd created everything else that exists, why did he choose to create men and women in his own image, in his own likeness? I think it's a simple answer. And I think it's because God is love, and love desires fellowship. See, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always existed eternally in a relationship of perfect love and perfect communion. Out of the overflow of this perfect love, God chose to create us to share with us his perfect love and his fellowship. In the 12th century, there was a Scotsman known as Richard of St. Victor, and he wrote about God as Trinity in his triune. He said God has to be Trinity. Otherwise, in the beginning, before he created anything, there wouldn't have been anyone to love, and God is love. It's his very nature. Let me stress to you this morning, why we need to understand this as we go through the Old Testament. It is critically important to understand that God created us out of his immense love for fellowship with him. Because when we read through, particularly the Old Testament, we're going to see some very hard things, hard to understand things, some challenges. We're going to try in our, our services here not to gloss over the hard questions, like why did God tell the Israelites to go slaughter people? We're going to try to respond to those as, as best we possibly can. And I think it's important that we do, and here's why. If we gloss over the hard things in the Bible, things that may appear contradictory, our children and our students are going to go off to college, many of them, or be in other environments where they're going to hear tremendous challenges to any belief in the authority and inspiration of Scripture. If you have a child who's going to take a required philosophy or religion class in college, it's highly likely that your son or daughter is going to read some things that argue strongly against any belief in the authority or inspiration of Scripture. There's a good chance some colleges, if you take a religion course, you're going to read a book like uh, The God Delusion by um, Richard Dawkins. 
on the screen you'll see a quote. I almost hesitate to put it up because it just sounds so bad, but it, it's quoted by Dr. Sam Storms, one of my favorite Bible teachers in his book, Tough Topics, because he does deal with hard questions. And he quotes Dawkins' book here, and here's what he quotes Dawkins as having written in The God Delusion. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, these are hard to pronounce, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Wow. Three thoughts come to mind when I think about that statement. The first is this guy really has a good vocabulary. <laughs> I have no idea what philicidal meant until I looked it up. It's, it's somebody who murders their own son or, or daughter. Secondly, I think, whoever wrote that must be a very unhappy person. And then thirdly, he doesn't know the God of love that I know. And he must have missed in the Old Testament, because he's writing about the Old Testament God, the immense number of references and descriptions of God's character as being one of steadfast love for his people. This is the quality that, to me, appears most frequently in the book of Psalms. His steadfast, loyal love, his loving kindness to his people, his love for them, even through their hard things and through their trials. God made us human beings in his own image. And I believe he did that to share the love that has existed in the triune God since the creation of all things, since before the creation of all things. Now, knowing that God created everything is incredibly important. It is the foundation for everything else that follows. And there are, any no, there are a number of implications for this, of this, for us. So what are they? I'm just going to share what I think are three of these. If God created everything, including us, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? What are the implications of that if God created everything? Number one, if God created everything, including us, I believe it means that he has the right, he and he alone, to define good and evil, right and wrong, truth and falsehood. Throughout the first chapter of the book of Genesis, when God is creating things, you find the statement, God saw uh, that the light was good. God saw everything that he made, and he saw that it was very good. God has the, the right, the privilege, the authority as creator to define what is good. The second chapter of Genesis, he says, after having created uh, Adam, it's not good that the man be alone. God knows what is good, what is not good. God has the right to say what is good, what is not good. We get over to Genesis chapter 3. And we read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This is the devil. He said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden of evil in the garden of Eden? In the garden, rather. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the point. Adam and Eve fell prey to the Satan's temptation when he, he cast doubt upon the truthfulness of God's word. And Satan has tempted human beings in the same way ever since. So I would say, we must not let Satan make us think that we, we human beings can call good what God says is bad. We must not let Satan make us think that we in the church can ever call right something that God clearly says is wrong. And this is an issue for the larger church world in the United States today, a very significant issue. But if God created everything, including us, he defines good and evil. He defines right and wrong. He defines truth and falsehood because he's chosen to communicate with us. Secondly, if God has created everything, included us, he's worthy of our worship and our thanksgiving. Paul the Apostle writes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. Creation attests to the creator. Creation points to the fact that there is a creator. So he says, of all people, they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It happened to Adam and Eve. It happened to Adam and Eve, and frankly, in some times and in some ways, it's happened to every one of us. Anybody besides me know that you have ever deliberately disobeyed God? Even after being a Christian? Said something he knew he didn't want you to say? I can't even count the number of times I've done that. And I praise God for his mercy in Jesus. This is why we need Christ, who's not only the creator, but also the redeemer. The creator and the recreator to those who come to God through faith in him and are made new creations. He takes our sin upon himself and through our faith in him, we're credited with his very own righteousness before the Father. If God created everything, including us, not only can he define good and evil, right and wrong, and not only is he worthy of our worship and thanksgiving, but will fulfill our highest potential in life by living according to his purpose. In the Old Testament, the law given to the Israelites was this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's what God is seeking. God of love, seeking people who love him in return. 
In Matthew chapter 22, you see these words when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, this is it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The greatest command is to really love God and return to his love for us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And it is love for God that compels obedience to God. That's why we, we, we just often say in our church, we want to know God better and love him more. Jesus said this is eternal life, to know him. The last thing you'll see on the screen there is a statement that comes out of something called the Shorter Catechism. It's a, it's a little series of Q&A, question and answer for kids designed to teach children um, theological truths. And the, the first one, uh, it's been around for you know, centuries. What's the chief end of, of man? That is, what's the highest goal for a human being? And it says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So at the beginning of this new year, I want to give you this challenge for your life, 2020. It's really simple. Enjoy God. Love Him in return. Christianity is not about a, a new set of rules for life. It's about a new love for life. Because it is our love for God, the triune God. It is our love for God that compels our obedience to God. We, we love him because he first loved us. And it's, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my words. You'll obey my teachings. If we love God, other things fall into place. It's love for God that motivates our service to God. We don't go out and serve in our local or international ministries just to try to make ourselves right with God. We do that because we love God. Jesus already made us right with God. And through our faith in Him and following Him, we grow in this love, and it compels our obedience. People don't twist our arm to give. We give because we love God. We don't have to have our arm twisted to serve. We serve because we love God. We don't have to be pushed to share the gospel with our friends. We do that because we, we love God. So let love for him compel your service. Love him. Enjoy him. Walk closely with him. He created us for this. We see it in the very beginning. Book of Genesis. Let's pray about that this morning. Our Father. Just to be able to call you our Father. Because of what Jesus has done for us. To bring us to you. We thank you. Thank you for creating us. Father, our prayer for each one of us here today is that we would fulfill your highest potential for our lives by knowing you and loving you. And that through that, the other things will become clearer. 
things that have to do with our relationships and our friendships and school and work, money and marriages. Lord, through our love for you, empower us to live as you'd have us live. And for anyone here today who has never accepted by faith that which Jesus has done on the cross, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, draw that one to yourself this day. We ask in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.